Welcome to season four of the Teacher Collaborative Podcast. This season, we're talking about teacher leadership and introducing you to teachers with all kinds of expertise. We're also rotating hosts so you can meet the staff who keep the Teacher Collaborative going. Here's today's episode. My name is Randall Wilkerson and I am the teacher in residence at the Teacher Collaborative. On today's episode, I am joined by Jennifer Hedrington. She teaches seventh grade at the Ferryway School in Malden. I first met her when I was taking advantage of my Calendly hours and just wanted to sit down and chat with the 2021 Teacher of the Year. It's been a real pleasure to get to know Jennifer and to get to work with Jennifer throughout the year, and I'm excited to really dig into, Jennifer, what's brought you into your Teacher of the Year role and what expertise you've got to share with other educators in Massachusetts. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. No problem. Thank you. I'm honored. Could you share your teaching journey with me? What did your teaching journey start with and how did it wind up with you here as the 2021 Teacher of the Year? Yeah, that's funny. How did I get here? Um, So (laughs) 16 years ago, I was in need of a job. I was working in uh, group homes slash detention centers and I needed a job. So I went online and there was an alternative high school in Revere and they were looking for a high school math teacher. I had no math background, no education background. I was actually in my first year of law school and I applied. I was like, doesn't hurt, right? The worst they could say is no. And they said yes. So I went in my first year teaching high school to kids who were about two years younger than me. So that was interesting. And it was a learning process for the both of us because I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was learning on the fly with them. I did that for two years and I had a difficulty passing the teacher exam. I think I took that three times. (laughs) I took that three times. And the second year, they were like, Jen, if you don't pass this by June, whatever, we have to let you go. And my results came in like July 1st. So I was let go and I was moving my sister down to Maryland. She was starting graduate school and a school in Baltimore called me up and said, hey, would you like to teach? I said, sure. And it was, that's how it started. You know, I started middle school. I did Baltimore for a year. That was an experience that I was not ready for as a new teacher. No one prepared me for that. That was probably the most stressful year of my life, excluding this one. (laughs) And um, it wasn't even the academics. It was the emotional trauma that the children carried. I didn't even know that existed. I, I was in a bubble. That was tough. And I only lasted a year. You know, I was like, there's not enough money in the world for you to keep me here. I ended up in the hospital that year. I had a panic, my first panic attack. It was, it was a lot. And then from there, I went to Houston. I stayed there for three years. That was also interesting because it was a different group of kids. I had to work on my Spanish. And it was also the year I was during... Um, Katrina. So I had a lot of Katrina kids who moved from Louisiana who came to Houston. And that too was something new for me. The different cultures coming in together, not even realize, because again, I guess I was sheltered. I didn't even realize there were so many different pockets in the United States. That was an eye opener to see the inequities in the US. And then I came back to Massachusetts. Honestly, all of my jobs have been by chance. I happen to just throw my resume online and whoever catches, I just go and I end up loving the place. So I did that when I came back. Malden, which is 50 miles away from where I currently live, I've been doing this for 11 years. So that's such an interesting experience that you were able to be in such different parts of the country as you were developing your teaching practice and 
living your own life. So through this experience, what expertise do you feel you've developed that's really unique to you? I would have to say the ability to see past the student and see the whole child and try to understand all that is coming into my classroom, all of the colors that are coming into my classroom. I like to say we are portraits made up of different colors. And too many times as educators, we just see one color when a kid walks in. So being able to work in different parts of the country with different groups of kids allowed me to see different colors that made up the portrait. That has definitely been my takeaway. You know, I've had I've had kids to come into my classroom ready to learn, but at the same time over the weekend, I'm talking about middle school, so seventh grade, the same time the weekend got shot in the leg. So my student comes in, she has a bullet in her leg, she's bleeding. I'm thinking she has her period. So I pull her aside and she's like, no, miss, I got shot over the weekend. I'm like the bullet's still in your leg. We need to call somebody, you know, just like, wow. And here I'm expecting you to add numbers and you're sitting with a bullet in your leg. Yeah. So you, are you quickly learn to see more than just the student and you see the human. Wow. That, that's a really unnerving story, you know, to hear, you know, that a student experienced that and still came to school and was at school while that was going on. How has that experience and the, the many others that you've had over time really changed your practice like at the ground level? How do you honor those many colors of students in your classroom kind of in a day-to-day basis? So it's definitely, I want to make sure that you know that I see you. I see the colors you want to show me because there are so many times that we see the colors that the kids aren't trying to show and we ignore what they want to express. You know, I've learned to try to focus on what is it that you want me to see? What are you trying to say to me? Because sometimes, you know, they can be cries for help that we can ignore. Or I have potential, but no one sees it. You know, even uh, last week, my homework or class practice, homework practice, whatever you want to call them, I usually just put artwork in the math. And my students was like, Miss, I have a picture. And she sent me her picture. And I was like, oh, my goodness, child, do you have four more? Because I usually put five pictures in my math. And it was amazing, just the artwork. I made sure everyone knew that the artist of the week was this child. And next thing you know, I have another kid. Hey, miss, can I be next week? So I, I was just working on my, my assignments for next week, and it's a new child. But did we, did we know that? I think the only teacher who may know this is the art teacher. You know what I mean? The rest of us, we have no idea that these kids are so talented. And there's more to a child than one subject. So it's just good to see them in their light. That's what I try to do. <laughs> When's the moment that you realized you were cultivating that classroom community that allowed students to come in as they were? I think I realized it when I started getting asked these questions as teacher of the year. It's just what I do. I want to be the teacher that I needed. So I I became that teacher. You know, I think because for me, I've had so much trauma in my life as a child and no one, no one knew about it. So I would come in with a smile (laughs) it's crazy. I had to go back to the middle school, high school that I attended. They asked me to speak and I did. And they were like, we want to show you the building, take a tour since you haven't been here in like 20 years. I was like, sure. And I was a little hesitant because I didn't realize the trauma that I was experiencing walking through that building because, uh, you know, there was a day where I was sexually assaulted in the bathroom of the school. I walked out of that assault back to class and the teacher's like, Jen, um, why aren't you answering the question? What's wrong? And how do I tell you? that a boy just sexually assaulted me. You see there's something wrong with me, but you want me to focus on the academics. 
right? I can't tell you in front of everyone what just happened. I try to be that teacher who can see past that because I desperately needed someone to see and no one saw. The way that you speak about, you know, developing this expertise is just so very human and empathetic. Not seeing it as an expertise necessarily, but seeing it more like as a necessity because, you know, that's what you needed at a certain point in just trying to give that. Correct. Correct. That's it. And I'm as I get older, I realize that there is no such thing as a perfect life. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you post, the false image you post. No one has it perfect. So everyone's going through something. I feel like it shouldn't be ignored. I want to provide a space where even if it's not that you're comfortable speaking to me, but I want to give you, empower you so that you can speak your truth to whomever, right? And let you know that it's okay. And this too shall pass. And that perspective, I think, is so important because like you said, you know, it's hard for a student to learn when other things are going on. That's such a such a major first step. So, you know, as you're kind of realizing this community culture that you're cultivating and talking about it more explicitly in the teacher of the year position, how do you feel about teachers, you know, identifying themselves as experts and noticing those things that you're really good at? Do you think that's easy for teachers, hard? You know, how was it for you? So for me, this has just been very difficult only because just personally, outside of being a teacher, I'm, um, I'm an introvert. I'm quiet. I'm shy. I'm the wallpaper, right? <laughs> you know, I was just telling someone what this feels like is awarding me $5 million, but I have no money management skills. So this has been challenging. But there are those who, you know, they embrace this. This is what they do. This is prior to, you know, being awarded anything. They, they walk in it. I'm learning to walk while I'm being awarded. So um, I have a hard time when people are like, you're an expert, you're an expert. I'm like, I know, I guess, you know, we're trained to think that to be an expert, there has to be years of education or some letters behind it. Granted, I do. I mean, I have letters, right? I have a JD, but I guess my lived experience makes me an expert. And I don't know if those letters count in society. Mm. I know what I know. And I know that I do what I do out of love. And it happens to work well for my students. So if that makes me an expert, then I guess I'm an expert. I mean, I personally, you know, think lived experience is huge and that's the most practical, transferable experience that a person can have. So I think that's definitely grounds for being an expert. Have you had opportunities to talk to teachers directly and how has that been? So I have. I've had plenty. Big crowds, so 700, or I've had crowds that were like 13 and they were like undergrad students. So it's been really nice and it's been an eye opener. I guess I'm taking what I know and what I do and my experience for granted. My assumption is that if we work with children, then we all should see them a certain way and treat them a certain way. And um, that is not the case. So it has been eye opening, somewhat sad because, you know, I am a mother. So I'm like, what is happening? The teachers that my boys have now are great, but I'm like, what could happen in the future, right? How are these teachers viewing my kids? With that being said, it is also like a motivating force for me to step out of my shell and have these conversations with teachers about how to see a child outside of the word student and how to teach outside of a textbook. So that, that's, it's been rewarding definitely out of my comfort zone. Um, very interesting conversations. You know, of the many things that I talk about, I find that most people are interested in the grading system. 
like I bring up the grading system and the equity behind that. And for many, it's just like a what? We never thought of that. And to me, it's like, I think it's about equity, just the grading system, how everything's sets of 10, except for the letter F, which is a range of 60 points and how we as educators should never give a child a 30 or 40, the lowest, if ever, should be a 50. That should be the lowest we ever give a child. And so just breaking that down for educators has been eye-opening. And hopefully, you know, my goal is if I can even change one, then a kid's life has been changed for the better. I really appreciate your perspective, and I think it's so enriching to the Massachusetts community. But it makes me wonder, you know, what if some alternate universe you hadn't been teacher of the year? Like, would you have had this opportunity to share what you've learned through your lived experience. And so what do you think gets in the way of teachers seeing themselves as experts? And, you know, the flip of that question is like, what can be done for teachers to, you know, be elevated as experts so we can hear all these great approaches? Culturally in the U.S., teachers are not valued. Even in the school systems, many times teachers are treated as incompetent. They're micromanaged, which is very weird because all the other professionals right? Like my sister's a doctor. She doesn't get micromanaged. <laughs> you know, we get micromanaged. So, it, it, you know, it makes you feel a certain way. If someone's always on top of you, you don't think that you're good at whatever you do. Truth, has someone always been on top of me? No. But I've learned that it's not just about me. We are a group. So I see what happens to other teachers. And that's that's not right. As far as how to elevate us, you know, something simple as when we have our PDs, again, I'm speaking for Jen. <laughs> I'm not speaking as, you know, I don't speak for everyone. But I think it is, I find it annoying and offensive when we, we meaning the system, hire outside people to do PDs or to come speak to us when there's a boatload of knowledge sitting right in there. And not only sitting there, but can speak on the children that we all teach and that we all know. Versus a stranger coming in and giving me theories, but you don't know my children. You've never spent one day in this classroom. I find that to be offensive. If the system would value their teachers and what they have to say, then, you know, there's a part of me that's just baffled how I've been here for 11 years. I haven't, for the most part, I haven't changed. And now all of a sudden what I have to say means something, but I've been saying and doing the same thing all these years. I struggle with that because I'm like, September 2020, I didn't matter. October 2020, all of a sudden, everything I say is gold. It doesn't add up to me. So I, again, personally, I struggle with that. If they would take the time to elevate teachers in their own spaces, then I think we could alleviate that problem. So given that you, you know, now do have this platform and, you know, once a teacher of the year, always a teacher of the year. Oh, I hear that. <laughs> so like, what's something you hope for your post-pandemic self, right? There, there's no going back. You you are Jennifer Hedrington, the teacher of the year. So how do you see that kind of manifesting itself a year, maybe even two years down the line now that, you know, you've got this platform and this voice as a teacher? I want us as educators to realize the impact that we have on these children. My message is what is going on outside. And, you know, I say outside because I'm sheltered inside my house. I don't listen to the news or anything like that. But once I do what I hear, I blame us as the educators for a lot of what is going on outside right now socially. Because before any of these adults who are doing these things became adults, there were teachers who had the opportunity to help shape the way they view the world, help shape the way they view 
people who are not in the same category as them. And we failed. And if we do not change immediately, this will continue. And my, you know, my grandson is going to still have to be doing these protests. But the problem is, unfortunately, we, the adults, are not able to have certain conversations. The machine is working well. This is exactly how it's intended to work. And too many of us are puppets and not realizing that we are doing exactly what we were intended to do. Silence, fear rather than speaking out, right? It's like, you know, when you go into a dark room or a dark house, you're scared, but the minute you turn on the lights, it's like, oh, well, conversations are equivalent to turning on the light. We're afraid to just turn on the light. We're afraid to have conversations. And that's exactly how the system wants it to be. Are you finding in your position this year that you're able to get some conversations going? Are you finding that there are willing participants? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, um, I'm able to have conversations going. It's a little tricky because I have to put myself out there and I, I'm explicit about when I'm talking about race and social justice. And most of the time, my audience, well, of course, we know teachers in, in Massachusetts, U.S. mostly are white teachers. So my audience is white. And I'm very explicit when I say to them that I intentionally put myself in this space to have this conversation. So when I ask a question, I am aware that a response may come off as ignorant or offensive but I am willing to sit in the space and talk about it. So I definitely do say that. And many times people do open up and make comments and ask questions that I take as, okay, you've released this thought. We're going to talk about it because, you know, I like to say that whatever goes in must come out. And as educators, whatever goes in comes out on the children. So if you have this, this thought, this ignorance, whatever it is, this fear inside of you, it will come out on our students and they will perpetuate it. So let's have this conversation because once we have it, you won't think it and we will get over it. And you know what I mean? Like it's not something that we can dismiss this. So now the hope is that you don't put this on our children. So these are conversations that we've been having. So there's a lot of conversation about recruiting and retaining educators of color not only in Massachusetts, but across the country. What are your thoughts on recruitment and retention for educators of color here in Massachusetts? You know, a lot of districts are like, oh, we're trying to hire teachers of color or we can't retain teachers of color. I guess because I am a teacher of color, to me, it just blows my mind that the system can't see what the problem is. Do I know the solution? No. But again, I'm speaking from my lived experience and from those that I surround myself with. The system needs to understand if I am brought up in a system for 180 days for 12 years or for 16 years or for 20 years, depending on how long I want to stay in the educational system, if I'm experiencing these negative interactions for so many years, why would I voluntarily want to go back and work in that situation? Why would I want to go back to that abuse? It, it is a form of abuse. You know, I was having a conversation. I said, sometimes being in these districts, it's like being in a, an abusive relationship where as the person being abused, you sit there and take it, but eventually you have to react. And the reaction is either A, I'm going to self-harm. And in that sense, self-harm could be, I could jeopardize my own position or B, I'm going to harm another. And I'm not talking about physically harming, but, you know, like I can do something where I hurt someone else, their profession, because that's what happens when you're in an abusive relationship. There's a time where enough is enough and I can't take and I'm going to explode. And for too many of us as teachers of color, we hold it in because there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to escape. No one. <laughs> this blows my mind. No one hears us. 
though everyone is saying the same thing, it's always like, no, that's not like, yo, if, if 90% of your teachers of color, which is usually five teachers, but if those five teachers are all saying the same thing, at what point does it become true? Right. And the system is not taking the words as truth. So then we react and then we leave. It starts from kindergarten. Allow me to enjoy this. See me for who I am so that when I get older, I want to go back to it. Right. Like, you know, we go to Disney World as as kids. It's fun. And then when we get older, we take our children to Disney World. Make school Disney World. And so that I can go back. And not only can I go back, but I can then tell my children, hey, you should become a teacher. But we're we're missing that. The system is missing that. So, you know, that question of we can't retain, we can't, I just, I don't understand. I'm like, well, because you are working from the outside, trying to work your way, you need to start at the root. We're not doing that. We're ignoring the problem. We're ignoring the problem. So we want to give our guests the chance to ask us about what we do at the Teacher Collaborative. Jennifer, do you have any questions for me? So I noticed that you have been using the calendar link and that you put it up on your social media to meet with teachers one-on-one. Can you tell me how you do that? I'm interested because I may want to try it. Yeah. So I'm a teacher in residence this year. And as a teacher in residence, my job is to connect with teachers of Massachusetts, learn about your experiences, and then learn how we can enrich our programming here at the Teacher Collaborative to meet your needs and to hear from you. You know, so it's been so nice to get to meet with you a few times. We got to meet and just talk one-on-one and I could learn about you and your teacher journey. And then I was able to come visit your classroom. So there's so much flexibility to the calendar link. And really what I want teachers to know is that's a time for you in whatever way you could imagine. You know, I've met with other teachers who have an idea about programming we could do with the teacher collaboratives and even other teachers who just want to get to know about what we do here. So really any way a teacher could imagine using that time I try to to make it available. And then hopefully, you know, when we're all vaccinated and in person, I could actually travel a bit across the state and get to meet with teachers in person. I would love to spend a day, you know, or a couple hours with the teacher, even if I'm like making copies, you know, while also getting to sit in and, and see what teaching across the state looks like on the ground. And shameless plug to all of our listeners, if you want to take some time to chat with me about your teacher journey, your experience, or anything else, you can find me at www.calendly.com forward slash Randall W. So it's R-A-N-D-Y-L and then my last name Wilkerson for that W. So that'll be calendly.com forward slash Randall W. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us today on our podcast. It was such an honor to have you and to hear your very powerful perspective on teaching in Massachusetts. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm humbled. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation. You can learn more about the programming we offer by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org, or by following us on social media at The Teacher Collab. That's collab with one L. And if you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to today's guest and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love, creativity, compassion, and energy. Thanks, as always, to teacher Ben Truboff for our theme music, The Dusty Pencil Sharpener. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. And thanks to our amazing producer, 
Robert Scaramuccia for translating our vision into a high-quality podcast, even over Zoom. <laughs>